we'll see that what forever changed our life, that the cross is a symbol of our faith. I want to talk to you tonight and beginning with Luke 23 and 33. It says, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on his right hand and the other on his left. To talk about what we need to talk about tonight, we need to talk about the cross. So to talk about the cross, we got to talk about Calvary. And to talk about Calvary, we have to talk about Jesus. Calvary is history. In fact, it's the most dramatic moment ever happened in history. Calvary is not a fantasy. It's not a dream. It's not an imagination. It's not man-created. It's not a fictional story. It's not a myth, nor is it a speculation. Calvary really happened. Some have sought to deny the crucifixion of Christ, our Lord and Savior. And those who seek to deny what took place at Calvary seek to deny history. You cannot deny the history of Calvary. To deny history is to deny all that God has done for humanity. Many try to deny Calvary. Yet, who would deny the assassination of Abraham Lincoln? You can't. Why? Because it is recorded in history. Who would try to deny the assassination of JFK? You can't because it's recorded in history. Who would deny the assassination of Martin Luther King? You can't because it's recorded in history. And only a fool would try to deny history, something that has been witnessed by many and recorded to be true. There were people there that day. That place existed and still does today. It's a part of Israel's history. So anybody who would deny Calvary would be called a fool. The Apostle Paul said we are to preach Christ crucified. But only do we preach him crucified, he said we also preach him gloriously resurrected on a Sunday morning known to us as Easter. Calvary is history, but it's more than history. Calvary is also geography, according to Luke 23 and 33, as I read. And when they were come to the place called Calvary, Calvary is a real place. It did and does still exist today. Luke, a journalistic historian, declares there was a place called Calvary. Calvary is not only a time in history, but it is a place. If you're to know Jesus, you're to know the places he went because they were significant. These places were also witnessed and recorded by witnesses. Every step that Jesus took was ordained by God. He didn't travel by havistance. He traveled by divine guidance and direction and purpose. God ordered his steps. Every step was a plan of God. You cannot deny the journey of his life. For many places he traveled, many faces witnessed his appearance. And don't forget that the multitudes followed him and that he spoke to the masses and thousands upon thousands of witnesses. Many scriptures speak of how it was noised abroad of his appearing and his departures and his miracles that he performed. Kings witnessed his presence. How can you believe history of King Herod but deny the history of Christ? When you think of Jesus, you might know of a place called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a real place. Bethlehem has a history. Christ is a part of that history. Bethlehem is the place where the infinite becomes an infinite. A fin, a fin, infant, excuse me. Where Jesus was robed in flesh and dwelt among us according to John 1 and 4. Born of a virgin named Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Born in a stable, placed in a manger, visited by the Magi, the three wise men. A place where omnipotence was cradled by human hands where divine deity was nursed. See, in Bethlehem, heaven and earth had appeared. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You cannot know Jesus and not know of Nazareth, because Nazareth is a place. It's the little backside of a Palestinian nation. The Romans called the city a fly on the back of a Rome. But in that little town called Nazareth, Jesus showed up in a synagogue. And they handed him a book, and he began to read the words of a prophet Isaiah. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. To the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It was that day that a woman who had an infirmity of 18 years walked down the aisle with her body bent over, and Jesus said to her, Woman, thou art loosed. And immediately she stood up straight, healed by the power of Jesus. It was in that city of Nazareth he announced his Messiahship. And you can't know Jesus without knowing the place called Cana of Galilee, where Jesus performed his first miracle. At a wedding, where he turned water into wine. And you cannot know Jesus, not know Bethany, because Bethany is a real place. Jesus shows up some four days late, and he stands before the mouth of an open grave, where his friend Lazarus lay dead and had been for four days who had already been wrapped in grave clothes. But Jesus hollers into the grave, Lazarus, come forth. Then Lazarus, the dead man, came walking out of the tomb alive, as he was commanded to do by Jesus. It was at this place in time in history where Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and I am the life, witnessed by a multitude of people. You cannot know Jesus, not know the garden of Gethsemane. In that garden, he knelt and he prayed till drops of blood poured out of his forehead, while Peter, James, and John slept in his presence. In that garden, just days before his divine appointment with an old rugged cross, in that garden where he surrendered his will to God's will for his life, witnessed by his disciples, after much agony and fleshly sacrifice, he cried out and prayed, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. See, you can't know Jesus and not know of a place called Golgotha. Golgotha is a real place. It's known as a place of judgment. The place where the Pontius Pilate said to religious leaders after Jesus had been falsely accused, I find no fault in this man called Jesus, but Pilate succumbed to religious pressure to sentence him to death. The place where a vile murderer was released to live, a, to live and a righteous man, Jesus, a man without sin, was sentenced to die in his place. But of all these places in his life, there was no place like Calvary because it was at Calvary that Jesus, a man who never sinned, a man who had no guile in his mouth, an innocent man, was beaten, mocked, and crucified for the sins of all mankind. It was there that Jesus shed his blood to secure the promise that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It was here at this place in history, he took on the sins of the world, yours and mine. It was at this place that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, many stood and witnessed the agonizing torture of an innocent man who had been beaten beyond recognition. Then they led up the hill called Calvary where they nailed his hands and feet to an old rugged cross and they stood him up in the midst of his enemies and then watched as a Roman soldier pierced his side and he bled and died of an agonizing death. A man who could have called 10,000 angels who would have come and took him down off of that cross. But at this place called Calvary, it wasn't just any old man. It was Jesus. 100% man, but he was always 100% the son of God. It was at this place in time in history as recorded that Christ bore our sins and paid for them with his blood. At this place, redemption was made at Calvary where the veil was rent in two, giving man direct access to God took place. Because of what Jesus done on the cross at Calvary. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there would be no remission of sins. Because there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. See, Calvary's history, but it's more than history. And Calvary is geography, but it's more than geography. Calvary 
is a possibility. Calvary opened the door to all of humanity to where no matter how far you've gone, how far you have fallen, how much you've messed up your life, Calvary is a possibility for your life. Because what Christ did at Calvary on that old rugged cross, healing is possible. Miracles are possible. Deliverance is possible. Most importantly, though, salvation is possible for all who believe. Because it was at Calvary, Jesus was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. Come on, somebody. Remembering Calvary ought to excite you. Because with God, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, sin restricts our lives. Sin separates us from God. Sin brings forth death. Romans 6 and 23 declares, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who has sinned? Well, according to Romans 3 and 23, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the truth is, we're all born into sin. All of humanity. Therefore, all of us must be redeemed by accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We must be born again, spiritually speaking. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be redeemed because of what Christ did at Calvary on the cross. And because of who Jesus was, the Son of God, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. The worst part of sin is it separates us from God. Being separated from God means we will never be everything God intended for us to be. And sin will restrict and prohibit God's plan for your life. But anyone who will go to the cross will be forgiven. Not by the cross, but by Jesus, the one who died on the cross at Calvary. Then every restriction is removed because behold, old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. You're born again, spiritually speaking. You become a new creature in Christ. What took place at Calvary is God's possibility for all of mankind because it was recorded in history that day when Jesus was nailed to the cross and crucified. Also recorded was there was another man on Jesus' right on a cross and there was another man on Jesus' left who was nailed to a cross. And after nailing Jesus to the cross, they raised him up in the midst of these two men. The Roman executioner anxiously waited to see what Jesus would say that day. These guys were professionals at executing people. They say when Rome was conquered, they literally crucified 6,000 men on crosses. These Roman soldiers knew how to crucify someone. These soldiers had seen thousands executed before him. They knew how to administer pain and suffering. A crucifixion was designed to be painful and an agonizing death. When men were crucified, often they would cry out, and even some would curse their parents and other ones would cru who crucified them, and often they would cr curse their false gods. So these men were anxious to hear what this Galilean named Jesus would say this day as he would cry out in his suffering. This man who claimed to be the Messiah a man who wouldn't speak when spoken to by his accusers. And now what would he have to say, they wondered. A man who took a beating beyond recognition, who would not say a word. What would he say now? Well, they began by driving nine-inch nails into his hands and into his feet, nailing his broken body to the cross. Then they placed a crown of thorns on his head, then they lifted him up in the air for all to view his suffering body. 
hanging on the cross at Calvary. As he trusted, as he thirsted, they offered him gall, which was vinegar. It was shoved in his mouth as he hung defenseless with the death at his doorstep. Then a certain Roman soldier stabbed Jesus in his side with a Roman sword, causing the precious blood of Jesus to run down his side. They anxiously stood and they waited for a response from him, wondering what would he cry out, for they knew he would. So they waited attentively to hear. They had heard him preach, love thy neighbor. They had heard him preach, pray for those who despitefully use you. They heard him preach, pray for your enemies. They heard him preach, if he smites you on the right, give him the left. But now what would he have to say in his suffering? Would he curse? Would he curse his father? Would he curse his enemies? Would he curse God? What will he say? They expected to hear him curse like all the others, expecting to hear him curse the day he was born, curse his enemy, curse his father, and curse his God. Then it happened. He did cry out finally as expected, but what he had to say was totally unexpected. He never cursed anything or anyone. It was nothing like they'd ever heard before. It was so astonishing to them. He cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I declare unto you, forgiveness of sin is a possibility at Calvary. Christ was looking into the spiritual realm. He's seen what was driving these men to crucify him. He's seen the demonic foes behind it. He hated the sin of these men, but he loved the sinner. He declared him while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He died that day so that even the very ones who were crucifying him could be saved if they too would repent and believe in him as the son of God. He died that day for whosoever will. He that knew no sin became sin so that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. The problem of the human race is not politics. The problem of the human race is not wealth or prosperity. It's not racism or nationalism. The problem of the human race is sin and sin alone. But Jesus at Calvary, being crucified on that cross, made a way to solve the problem of the human race. A way for man to be forgiven of sin so that we may live a victorious life so that sin has no dominion over us, but that we have dominion over sin. There is no sin more powerful than the one who died on the cross. For Jesus paid for the sins of the world on that cross with his blood at Calvary. While they were crucifying Jesus, they were also crucifying two thieves. They had placed one on a cross on his left and one on a cross on his right. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, a conversation taken place in the midst between the two thieves. While the one thief was insulting Jesus, remarking, aren't you the Christ? If so, save yourself and us. But the other thief rebukes his mocking, saying, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are being punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. So we understand why the thieves were being crucified, but why this innocent man named Jesus? When the Romans would crucify criminals, they would place a sign above their heads listing their charges. Above the head of the thief on the left, it said, thief. Above the head of the thief on the right, it said, thief. 
But above the head of Jesus was also a sign. But his wasn't a charge. It was an announcement. It was a decoration. It said, this is the king of the Jews. You see, he did not die a criminal. He died a king. And as much as they hated him, they could not deny him. I declare to you, he's not only died as a king, but he now lives as a king, the king of kings. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me. He's our advocate with our heavenly Father. That if we should sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us all sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I declare, let every nation know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because if they don't know it today, they will know it someday. For every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess him God. I'm telling you, there's going to be a day that the prime minister of every country will know. That the president of every nation will know. That the king of every kingdom will know. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Amen. The first thief said to Jesus, if you are who you say you are, get us down. The other thief said, are you crazy? You've lost your mind. We are in this place as condemned men. We are guilty. We deserve to die. We are in the hands of justice, but this man has justice in his hands. Look above his cross. Read his sign. They wrote it in three languages. They wrote his announcement in three languages. They wrote it in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Wonder why? I did. Could it be perhaps, you see, the Greeks were known for their intelligence, and the Latins were known for their military power, and the Hebrews were known for their religious authority. So they wrote it perhaps in Greek to remind us intelligence cannot save us. Perhaps in Latin to remind us military power cannot save us. Perhaps in Hebrew to remind us religion cannot save us. Declaring that if a man is to be saved, he must be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other name given under heaven by which man must be saved. There is no other place than Calvary. There is no other time than today. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other method than repentance. There is no other gods than Jehovah God Almighty. Romans 10 and 9 declares that if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts the Lord Jesus and that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So the one thief recognizes who Jesus is. He believes he is who he says he is. And what is the result of that? The thief says to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus replies, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why? Because he believed in Jesus. And Jesus was telling this man, by you believing in me, me today, Today, when you die, you'll be with me. Today, you will be with him today. To every believer that he makes that same promise, if you believe in him and if you should die today, you will be with him today. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So how important was this place called Calvary? I'll tell you, no man has a future without Calvary. If Calvary is not history, we're all without hope. I declare to you, if you want hope, it's in Christ, in Christ alone. If you want a future, 
It's in Christ and Christ alone because of what he did on the cross at Calvary. The one thief was thinking later, but no, Jesus said today, let your future start today. Before you even leave this earth, before you even die, I'm speaking to someone, let it start today because it's too late after you die. The opportunity is today before you die. Your future is in Jesus. It's not tomorrow, it's today. The psalmist said, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. The greatest lie of the enemy to man is you got time. I've come to tell someone your future in Jesus can start today. Jesus said these words to the thief, and about that time darkness falls upon the earth. It was as the whole earth became silent and stood still. And from the sixth hour to the ninth hour of the day, darkness fell upon the earth. When the darkness appeared, Jesus says, Father, and to thy hands I commit my spirit. Forgiveness comes on the scene at that hour. The plan of redemption is unveiled. And the cost of sin is paid for at that hour. How? By the shedding of Christ's blood upon that cross. Not only is forgiveness found at Calvary, but your future starts at Calvary. Not only was Christ at Calvary, but God the Father was there. At his worst moment on Calvary, Jesus took his pain and put it into the hands of a righteous God. When he said, I commit my spirit into your hands, he was saying to his father, here, it's yours. Jesus gave his life away as a good shepherd. He laid his life down for his sheep. That day, he gave everything he had. He gave his bleeding brow to a crown of thorns, his spotless hands and guiltless feet to nine-inch spikes. He gave his back to the cross, his side to a spear, and his blood to the ground. And after he had given all he had, when all he had left was his spirit, he gave it to God and he said, it is finished. He refused to let his enemy take his spirit. And no matter how bad your life is, folks, no matter how tragic or painful, don't let your enemy take your spirit. Prepare your heart by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you secure your spirit that when you die, it will go into the hands of a loving, righteous God and not into the hands of your enemy. And to the hands of God into eternal life, not into the hands of the enemy into eternal death. And to the hands of God where heaven is your home not into the hands of your enemy where hell is your home. Into the hands of God where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death for eternity. Not into the hands of your enemy where there is gnashing of teeth, an unquenchable fire, and a torment for eternity. Upon Jesus declaring it is finished, it is done, it's accomplished, the earth quaked, the soldier who speared him cried out, surely this is the Son of God. And the veil in the temple separating mankind from the Holy Holies was rent in two to give men direct access to God. To where you no longer have to go to a priest to confess your sins. You can now come boldly before the throne room of grace. At this altar today and confess your sins to the high priest Jesus. Completing God's plan of salvation which was instituted at Calvary. 
Calvary is history. It was witnessed and recorded. Calvary is geography. It was a place where it happened. And Calvary is where grace was birthed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Today, if you're saved, these words ought to make you want to rejoice. If not, these words ought to make you want to start your future today with Jesus. How? Tonight, by coming to this altar, like everyone who is a believer in, has done one day in this room, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And it begins by admitting you're a sinner. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. By believing that Jesus died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. And by confessing him as your Lord and Savior. By asking him to come into your heart today. You have no promise of tomorrow. The biggest lie is you've got plenty of time. Or when I get it all right, many will say, well, I can't live it. Sure you can. You can do all things through Christ. Also, there may be perhaps some who have gotten snared, caught up in the cares of life, who since knowing God, you've gone astray. You can come back home today. God is calling his children home. Would you stand with me, please? Upon hearing the importance of the cross tonight and of what, what you've learned of what has happened at Calvary, that God's only begotten Son came to this earth for the purpose of redeeming man back to God. We've all been born into sin. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, every single one of us must be born again. And to be born again is by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can do that tonight because of what he did at Calvary. When he shed his blood at Calvary, the shed blood of Christ is what can redeem you. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. And this is a very special week. And I'd love for Easter to be a very special day for every single one of us that's standing in this building tonight. And it can become a very special day to you for the rest of your life. Because on the third day after his crucifixion, Christ was resurrected from the dead. And because he lives, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will be the same spirit that raises us from the dead. And you too, young or old tonight, can make the greatest decision of your life tonight by coming to this altar when I give an invitation in just a minute, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We'll meet you here, we'll pray with you, and you too can become a believer. And the cross will forever be a symbol of your faith too. Every time I see a cross, it reminds me of what Christ did for me, for this old sinner that I was, and what he did for many of you. Or if you have strayed away from the Lord, and you know you've committed sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. He's standing with open arms, welcoming you back home tonight, saying, come home, it's time. We're living in the last days, and now more than ever, it's a special time. God's grace is still here. We're living in this grace, this creation of grace, where God's grace is still available for you to receive. You'll receive it not because of anything that you've done. You'll receive it because of what He's done. So every head bowed and every eye closed for just a minute. If you're here tonight 
young or old, I open this altar and I invite you to come to this altar and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to forever change your life, that God can forgive you of your sins this night. Is there someone here tonight that says, I would like to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ? Would you come, young or old? anyone else it's the greatest decision of your life don't buy into the lie I've got plenty of time or it's a lie one of these days when I get my everything right because you'll never get it right without the help of Jesus Christ in your life and a couple more come these young people are getting it I'm not rushing I'm waiting there's no need to rush. This is the most important part of these people's life right here. This will change their lives forever. I need some prayer warriors to help Pastor Mike pray, if you would, please. Day is the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in these young people. I'm talking to teenagers. I'm talking to middle age. I'm talking to senior citizens. The Lord is here and today is the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord. Need someone pray with this lady right here, please. Need some prayer warriors, please. Rhonda, thank you. This is beautiful. Thank you, Lord. I need some more ladies. Kathy or somebody, if you would come and pray with these, these three right here. Heather, these young ladies right here. Thank you, Lord. The question to ask yourself, if you were to leave this world today, would you be ready? Are there any others? I tell you, a salvation service is one of the greatest services we'll ever have here. And sometimes we get impatient, but we should never get impatient with a salvation service. 
people who are giving their lives to the Lord. It's forever changing their life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.